0: Is there power that you're missing out on in your family? Do you have a vision that's legit for your family? You're trying to do God's will. You're trying to do the things they're telling you to do in church, but you're missing out on a significant tool of power. That's what we're talking about today. And I'll give you a little hint from the Bible regarding the power that you're missing out on. Listen up. Proverbs 21:26 says some people are always greedy for more, but the godly love to give. Hi, I'm Steve. For nearly 30 years, I've been a pastor a disciple maker. And what I really love doing is helping guys be better followers of Christ and better leaders at home. I'm Mark, a certified financial planner
1: with an MBA and an Ivy League degree who wants to make sure you're making the smartest money decisions possible
0: and this is abraham's wallet join us weekly and create a culture in your family of multi-generational prosperity spiritually relationally physically intellectually and financially run your home your dough like a biblical boss Some of our listeners might not be aware that we've been slowly winding our way through this series for, I don't know, four months, visiting it, leaving it, revisiting it. But we've got a series going that we're calling The Critical Skills of Money, meaning there's just a few skills like action verbs, these things you've got to have, or you're not going to be great at money. And we want all of our people to be great at money. So, Uh, You can look back into our history if you would like to walk through these steps. We talked about acquisition first. That's like uh, get some money. Two, oversight. That is know where your money is. Three, multiplication. Do you know how to take money and turn it into more money? Four, leverage. That is using money to make all kinds of other things happen, including debt. Number five, trading. That is, how can I trade money to get something else better or that that better thing might be more money? And now we're on skill number six of the critical skills of money, which is generosity. You have to be fluent in, you have to be skilled at generosity and giving. You have to understand it and deploy it. If you want to be someone who is Abrahamic when it comes to money, if you wanna be good at it, you have access and insight to many, 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 many families' uh, their their deepest, most intimate financial secrets. So let me ask you this: Do you find that most people are quite generous? No. Oh,
1: I, I think that's it's interesting. What I find is that for. For families who have set out to follow Christ, I don't know if this is a transformation that happens in their heart, or if there's cultural pressure or what. I think it's probably different for different people and a combination of all those things, but most of them, they they state a genuine desire to be wildly generous. That right. is very common. Right. Do you right. I see a lot of families that are wildly generous. No, I do not. And it's interesting though, because I compare that to, I work with a lot of families who would say, I, I have nothing to do with your kind of religious take on life. So good luck with that. And those families, generally, generosity is not a huge consideration. So it's a nice idea. It might be like, oh, I'd like to kick a few bucks to this or that organization, but it's not a pattern of life. And that's where I will say, I see that families who are following Christ often, at some level, it
0: is a pattern of life. Well, one thing I want to say uh, as we're walking through this, and it's certainly a response to what you just said, is that generosity, it's a privilege because, like, the more that you have, you can do more of it, but it's also a responsibility. That is to say, it doesn't matter how much of it you have. If you call yourself a believer, if you're ostensibly following Christ, uh, generosity is part of the package. Kind of like faith, you can't say, "Well, I want to follow Christ, and someday I'll get around to having faith." No, it's part of it. The Bible is really clear: like forgiving isn't an option. If you if you want to know God, forgiveness is going to be part of the story. Similarly, giving is part of the story because. To come to God, you sign over the check, the blank check, the deed, I should say, the deed of your life. And he says uh, definitively, great, there's some things I want to do with some of what is underneath the heading of you and everything that you're you're in charge of, that you, from which you won't experience benefits. I will be taking some of what I've given you, and I'll be using it on behalf of others." we just really got to own that we got to submit to that and i would say that being a non-giving person is not only immature it's rebellious because he's been so clear in in the commands that he's given us so we don't want our people to be rebellious nor immature that's why we have the critical skills of money it's god's will that we be generous and that we be givers so we want to start talking people through that financial giving is a responsibility because it, it's part of who we are. It's a privilege because few people who've ever lived even had the prospect of giving the way that you and I can give. Yes, you can buy a coffee for a friend and you should do that, but you could also do things like support a missionary or start a charitable organization or build uh, habitat houses for people. It's, it's really crazy what we can do if we if we want to and we start to comprehend God's vision around uh, generosity. I'll just throw a couple of verses at us so that we can just see this is really common. It's a baseline for us. Hebrews 13, 16, don't forget to do good and to share what you have because God is pleased with these kinds of sacrifices. Okay, so we share what we have. Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of God's people and welcome strangers into your home. Contribute to the needs of God's people. When you hear someone has a need, you think, oh, well. God wants to meet that need, and how does God meet those needs? Through people like me, just like me, so I could meet these needs. Luke 3, 10, and 11, the crowds asked him, what then should we do? Whoever has two shirts must share with the one who has none, and whoever has food must do the same. So I'll do a little poll here of our listeners. Anybody have two shirts? Yes, you do have two shirts, which means you're a candidate to be a giver. You have food, so you have this privilege, the privilege of much, and so giving should be part of the deal. So I want, I want us all to know uh, that God is trusting us. And for those of us who have money, you've got financial goods. Uh, I know that you do because you're listening to this. And every year, I just think of this in my mind, that every year God hold, God gives each family a packet of money. Just think of that at the end of the year. We never really see it this way because we spend it as we get it. But if you can look at, at the beginning of a year, him collecting all the money that will come through your hands in any given year, and he plops that that bucket of money. Think, let's think of it in 20s, $20 bills, just stacked up on a table in front of you. And he says, here's your money for the year. And uh, some of us would our jaws would drop if we could see it all in one place. Some of us would immediately start whining that we think that the basket should be bigger and there should be a bigger pile of money, but the size is irrelevant. What we need to do is say, Oh God, with this packet that you're giving me for this year, how can I be faithful to you? What am I supposed to do with this money? And we we've spent a lot of hours and airtime telling people, yes, it's part of God's intention that you multiply that money, that you manage it. Yes, all of that is true. And if you're going to get to maturity, giving is supposed to be part of what you do with this money. My plea for people is that you don't just do generosity with the most obvious lazy thing that's right at, at arm's reach to you. Well, these people sent me something in the mailbox. I'm supposed to be generous. So, uh, okay, there, I signed that off to them. Okay. Well, there's a billboard that says that they, they're they accepting money from people. I have money. I guess I'll give it to them. And there, I did it. I was generous. What do you want? Well, okay, there's some value in you getting money out from yourself. There's value. But my my plea is that we could be more intentional because – what, what is so exciting to me, and we've written so many articles over the years on generosity. You can go to abrahamswallet.com. You just input the word generosity, and you'll see a whole bunch of stuff there. What you'll see is that I just have this excitement. I like to envision things. If you're a, like a writer or you know a music maker or anything, you like to envision things that don't yet exist, and I, I like to envision a world in which the thousands of families listening to this right now would all creatively and authoritatively go, giving is, is our thing. We're taking agency with our giving, and we're going to do these things to send out giving into the world. I just want it to be intentional and choiceful for you. I want you to be intentional because I think there's huge power for a group our size to, to send out really the kingdom in, in all sorts of places in the world if we, if we do it right. And, and one more thing I want to say in this very long introduction is that I believe that giving is a testing ground for faithfulness. We, we love the passage that says, whoever is faithful in a small thing we will be put in charge of much. So if you find that basket sitting on the table in front of you in your mind's eye, and you think, well, that's kind of a small basket, I can assure you, I'm quoting Bible verses here, I can assure you that God looks very closely at the way that you handle your small amount of money, and that's part of his evaluation process to see, I wonder if I could trust this person with a big basket of money if your reaction to the small basket of money is to go, I just can't trust that he's going to do anything. You know, he tells me to give, but he hasn't seen my savings account and I'll give when we have a bunch of money. But in the meantime, you know, to give me a little bit of, you know, spiritual authority would be good, but we just don't have the money to be givers right now. Your dreams are not going to come true. God's not going to trust you with more, while you have been uh, greedy and small-minded with a little bit, you know there's this story that Jesus tells of the widow who she just puts two pennies into the offering plate, and Jesus goes, "Guys, we never seen faith like this. Th- th- this is so special what this woman did because she was she had nothing and yet she was a giver. That has to be part of our thinking. Which is, I don't know if I'm going to be a big boy millionaire in the kingdom someday." I, d- I can't say that. What I do know is that he's given me money now and I'm going to be a giver. So it's a matter of us talking about where are we going to give? So the, the next question is is that one. Like if we're going to be givers, where do we give? I'm so sick of talking. I'm exhausted. What What do you have to say about all that? I think that
1: giving kind of out of obligation is probably the thing that for me and for the people I talk to, actually kind of robs giving of its great sort of power more than just about anything else. Now, like you said, I don't think that means that we're disobedient with money. There's not a clear checklist in the scripture that says, well, if you do this, you're good. That We've actually kind of moved beyond that era of uh, God's relationship with man. And so there's not an easy way to just check the box, even if you wanted to. But what I see a lot of people doing is they they want to be obedient. So they're like, well, maybe I should put my giving on autopilot. Yes. And there's I think there's something noble in that, Steve. So yes. I'd be interested, kind of, I'm guessing that a lot of the people listening to this are in that position of, we're trying to be faithful. We're not trying to be... Uh, in dereliction of our duty, we don't even know how to start if we wanted to move our giving into some something more than just obedience into like what you're describing. So how, I guess my question is, how would a family that's hearing this, and maybe this is a new concept, move from diligence into like a vision activating, joyful, experience when it comes to giving. I just know personally, all sorts of things come up. I start to go, well, I don't really get much of a thrill out of supporting the local 501c3 church building with all of my giving dollars, but they kind of rely on, on it. You know, I'm not a part of a big church, so what should I do about that? Or, you know, I've got these five compassion children and That's not really feeling like something my family's called to, but I can't drop them or they'll be thrown out onto the streets and not have education. What do I do? So once you've gotten, you know, you name it, I support eight missionaries just because they all came to my house and asked if I would support them. And they seem like wonderful people who are sharing the gospel. So, of course, I wanted to help. What do you do when when you're trying to make some changes to the to the giving style?
0: Well, I I, I think the first thing is to simply assume that you're not going to give anywhere that you've already given. I think that's a really helpful thought experiment to go like, look, I, we've got some stuff on auto pay and et cetera, et cetera. But let's just for the sake of discussion, and and I do believe that having a giving plan that is personalized and is motivating to you, I do think that's worth like a weekend away with the spouse to talk about these things? Or if you don't have that, could you put aside an hour a week and just start walking through these things, uh, with your, with your wife and just talk through where do we stand on these? I feel like there's a major conflict between I want to be faithful and dependable. Like I want it to be like clockwork. And so what, has, what that's translated into, as I've been taught my entire life, is to sign a check to the local little red brick church house on the corner. So that's what we do. And I kind of trust them to do all the stuff, which by the way, having worked at one of those, they don't do all the stuff. However, the other conflict is that this other side of giving that I see as But who you are as a family, what you're called to do, the things that burn on your heart could explode if you did intentional, strategic giving and really thought your way through those things. What I would love to see is people just go, let's just assume that we were stopping all of that. And we just look at last year's giving. Just take that as a starting place. Go Well, we gave maybe $1,000 last year. That's kind of embarrassing that it was that small, but okay, that's what it was. Okay. Let's look at that $1,000. Let's just talk about where that money went and why. And my guess is there wasn't a lot of thought or prayer put into where that went. So I, what I want is people to just start from zero conceptually, and then let's build out into something that really excites you because that, because there is major power in giving. I can't teach this subject and not cover some some biblical basis. So let's just start with the closest thing to your front door, which is the Bible says that we're to give to our families. You're thinking, well, that's why I work. I mean, I'm buying shoes. Uh, I'm, I'm getting my, my daughter uh, loves to wear cowboy boots, and she has worn the ever-living stuffings out of the boots she has. I'm paying right now $110 for them to be resold so that she can get her boots back on. I'm thinking, holy, what am I doing? (laughs) Why am I paying for this? So you're thinking, that's why we work. So we are giving money to our families. Yes, 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 but, 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 yes, but. I think that God sees our families more extended than we do. I think that you might have some cousins, some nieces and nephews that actually have needs that you could meet. I'm not saying that you're obligated to meet all of those needs, but I want us to consider these things. This ought to be part of the discussion that you're having with the spouse. Um, for years and years, my wife and I gave a monthly to my mother-in-law because she, she was pretty much destitute and needed it. So we supported her. Why? Because the Bible tells us to. The Bible says, if a, if a man will not support his own family— that is, financially support his own family. He's worse than an unbeliever. and that's a pretty stunning statement. And to Consider the implications. The God's going, what is your money for? Number one, I'm putting it right here at the top of our list, we're supposed to give to our family. So something that might help you think is to think of the generation before you and to think of the generation after you. And what are the needs? There's no question at all that God expects you to ensure that the generation before you is taken care of. So, you know, we have a lot to say about retirement planning. There's, there's all sorts of wonderful programs to make that stuff happen. But what if you're my mother-in-law and those thing, none of those things were done? Whose problem is it? Is it the government's problem? Is it the city council's problem? Not biblically, it's not. It's your problem. You said because
1: the scripture tells a man that he must take care of his family, you should give to family. The first thing I think when you say that is buying groceries for my kids is not giving. I talk to people all the time who get the giving category mixed up and say things like, you know, for our giving money this year, we're going to give ourselves a trip to the beach because we just need some relaxation. And I think that a trip to the beach is great, but it's not the same as. Supporting a mother-in-law who
0: needs rent paid every month. You and I have both seen this an awful lot, where people want to recategorize bathing yourself in luxury. I, I just want to make the point that providing for one's family is a baseline expectation for an Abrahamic family leader. As far as categorizing on a budget, I always like to think that giving is something where I send I send money out of my purview. So that whatever benefits will come from that, I don't get to experience them. So if I'm paying for my nephew to go to college, I'm helping a cousin out of debt, I'm I'm just helping a mother-in-law simply pay the rent and get food on a monthly, those are giving to me because they go outside of my household and I do not experience any benefit from them. To say, I'm sending my kid... My kid is just they are just mentally stressed out. And so I'm gonna give them a full family trip to the beach. No, you're not. Yeah, you're you're giving yourself a gift. So that's what I'd say about giving. Does that does that kind of address it? Yep. I think so. Okay. Number two place to give. And I'm only gonna do four. So this second category is to your community of faith. Okay. Now again, let's do the thought exercise. We're not assuming giving anywhere. And so I I want to help you answer this question of what is my community of faith? With whom do you do kingdom work? Maybe you don't do any kingdom work, or maybe there's a men's cigar-ish Bible study that you go to monthly. Okay, that counts. Maybe there's a women's book club where you're trying to just be godly mothers. Okay, that counts. If you're trying to do any discipleship work, that definitely counts. Okay, so who you're trying to do kingdom work with, Two, who are the people that lead you spiritually? I'm asking that question very specifically. Who leads you spiritually? There is a verse that says, um, the people who keep watch over your life are your leaders. Growing up, I went to a gigantic Baptist church. I don't think the head guy knew my name. I was in some Sunday school class underneath his giant organization. But this guy did not keep watch over my life. There were a couple of youth workers who volunteered through that, you know, that big community uh, of that church who they did keep watch over my life. So, keeping watch over your life would be they know your name, they know how much money you have. They know what your struggles are. They know when you're having a really good go of it and when you're having a really bad go of it. That's somebody who's keeping watch over your life. That's shepherding. Okay, that's the, that's the concept of shepherding. The other way to, uh, to ask this question, who's keeping watch over my life? Two, who's building into me spiritually? That is to say, I am growing in my relationship and knowledge of God and His Word because of the input of these people. Now, these people have names, okay? I'm not talking about organizations. There's no organization that's ever helped you. There's people who have helped you. So I want you to think of names. And that's, again, this is a conversation with the wife. Who builds into us? Who grows us? And who gives us oversight, okay? You should, I got a Bible verse for you here. You should be giving money to those people. Galatians 6, 6. Let him who receives instruction in the Word of God share all good things with his teacher, contributing to his support. So who teaches you and strengthens you and challenges you spiritually? Write them a check. That's a biblical idea. So you might say, well, the number one person who does that, I'm at a church with 50 people in it. And the number one person who does that is a guy who has reverend next to his name, and he's out on a billboard out front that says he's the pastor of the First Lutheran Church of Cedarville. I can tell you that that guy doesn't want you to write him a check with his name on it. He wants you to write a check to the First Lutheran Church of Cedarville. Great. That's fine. Do that. Because he would say, I receive my support from this organization. If you would like to give to this organization because you feel fed and cared for here, that's wonderful. Please do that. Okay, great. Most people that, will, that you'll answer their name to of the questions that I just asked, there's not a charitable organization connected to that, and you should still write them a check. That's a biblical idea. So that's part of your community of faith. The people that you do kingdom stuff with, It'd be real simple. Like we're going to do uh, we're going to eat the, the cigar group of dudes. We're going to have a barbecue meal and you shoot your hand up and you go, I'm covering the barbecue, uh, this week. I can't wait to, to pay for that. And you're thinking to yourself, this is part of my giving. I'm giving to this, it's a kingdom kind of a thing. Now we're getting into the gray waters of I'm going to be eating some of that barbecue. I understand that. I'm trying to define who is my community of faith. And your community of faith isn't the back of the head that sits three rows in front of you on Sunday morning. That's not your community of faith. Number three, this is... If you can get your head around loving the Lord and the way that He wants you to love Him, this can be a great category for you, and it's simply giving to God's purposes. That's what I'm calling this category. So give to the poor. Ephesians 4.28 says, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that's acquisition, so that he may have something to give him who has need. So. Who has need around you? Well, there's poor people have need around us. There's a, there's a verse in Proverbs that says, whoever gives to the poor lends to the Lord. Just look out for the poor. God is interested in that. So it could be the layup that you mentioned before, which is uh, a compassion kid that you sponsor. It kind of blows my mind that somebody could have a 48-inch plasma TV in their home and not be giving anything to the poor. That's not a Christian way to live. 2. Orphans and widows. This is established as early as Deuteronomy 14. It says, The fatherless and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. Generally, in the time that we live, that is foster kids, kids in the foster system. Orphans and widows, I believe under this same category, is us supporting crisis pregnancy centers. And lastly, figuring out ways to support single moms. I think that those all fit under this same category of who the Lord is looking out for. And I think that we ought to be strategically giving. One of my goals in in walking through this stuff is that people feel a little overwhelmed and go like, there's so many categories. How, How could I give to them all? Well, I want you to sit down and talk about it. And I want you to think, okay, we give some money to the local church. We don't have to stop doing that. Are we giving to crisis pregnancy centers around us? Huh well, the Lord likes that. He likes us taking care of would be orphans and widows. A widow is a woman who has no husband supporting her, which is not was never God's intention ever that there would be a woman raising children with no man to support her and to help make that thing happen. So you should take a lay of the land in front. And you just sit down with your wife, go, I see 10 needs. How are we going to apportion money so that we can send money to the places that God loves? Well, honey, I think we could give maybe $50 this year to uh, the foster kids program that's near us. Hey, you know what, guys? High fives from me. If you can do that, great. Let's just start walking down these channels, Okay two other things inside this category of giving to God's purposes. Christians in prison. The Bible says that very clearly. This is Hebrews 13.3. Keep on loving others as brothers. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. So you might know Christians who are in prison— In the United States, you don't get thrown in prison for being a believer, but that does happen all over the world. We love an organization called Voice of the Martyrs, and they do support Christians all over the world who are in prison for their faith. So something like that, support these people. The Bible tells you to do it. The last little topic I'm going to say, the last little category underneath giving to God's purposes, just giving impulsively. I think that's on God's heart. You've probably heard this verse, it's Luke 6, where Jesus says, Jesus is repeating, I believe, Isaiah, and he says, give and it will be given to you. A large quantity pressed together, shaken down and running over will be in your lap because you'll be evaluated by the same standard with which you evaluate others. This is a really easy layup thing for you to do if you go, I want to give impulsively. I haven't, I don't. You're going to have to be a little bold when you walk into uh, McDonald's. I like that little Ed Mc, egg McMuffin and an iced coffee in the morning. Sure. Walk in there and there's three people ahead of you in your line. Just walk right up to the cashier like you own the place and say, I'm taking the bill for all three people in front of me and I'll pay when I get to my order. There you go. You just impulsively, you're like, I serve a generous God. And when people look, you like, what are you trying to pull here? And you just say, God has been good to me. And, I, and he likes generosity, that's it. And it'll be a little comfortable, but it's also really fun. So these little moments like this, he likes impulsive giving. Proverbs 21, 26 says, some people are always greedy for more, but the godly love to give. That takes us to the fourth category, the last category. You All ready right. for this? Yeah. Okay, this is what you were talking about up at the top, which is giving to your vision. We have put a lot of time and energy towards helping families understand their vision. And I'll just summarize by saying, God put you and your spouse together for a reason, and he intends that your family will be something on planet Earth during your lifetime that my family isn't going to be. Number one, we don't live where you live. Number two, we don't know the people that you know. And three, we don't have the same spiritual gifts that you do. So there is a reason that your family exists and we have a whole course and put a lot of energy towards trying to help people define what is uh, what is our family's vision statement? Who are we and why are we here? One thing that we love to do is to challenge and encourage people. Once you have some clue of what your family is about, you should be blowing that thing up with your money. So just the, my history of me and my wife. We just were kind of discipleshipy people. We want to take people who it looks like uh, the parable of the seeds and the soils. Y- you know, some something sprung up, and gosh, this person might not make it. They might not be here ten years from now, still following the Lord because they're in trouble. They haven't been taught well. Nobody, nobody has had this kind of shepherding oversight influence. And typically the big church kind of goes, if you said yes to Jesus, then just come back next Sunday. You'll be fine. And uh, statistics prove, no, they won't be fine. They actually need human beings to parent them and take care of them. So me and my wife, we like doing that. That kind of discipling thing is part of who we are. And so we ought to be giving money to make discipling happen around the world. Some of it that we're doing, so we've put our money towards efforts to do that locally. Some of it, nothing to do with us. We are always on the lookout for who is doing disciple making anywhere. If it's in my city, if it's around the world, I wanna give money to those things. When I see people doing it right, it excites me. And I feel like that's my baby. They're doing my thing. That's the thing that I'm called to do. Navigators is an an old organization. That I've always loved because their whole deal is we want to make disciple making disciples. So when I ran into uh, navigators in college, I kind of something buzzed in me like, well, th- this is what I'm. What this is what I do? This is what I'm made to do. I I don't have to be a navigator, but I I still want to send my money out against my against the vision that God has for my life or the vision that I understand. This is who I am. So we think that families ought to be giving to their vision, and we. Again, we have a whole lot of places where we can help you come up with practical examples, ways to do that. Again, go look at abrahamswallet.com, read some of our our material on vision. We've done podcasts on your family vision, but we think that giving generosity should be part of it, should weave in and out of this is where God's heart is, is with the poor, people in prison, et cetera. Um, these are the things that he tells me to do that is giving to my family and my um, spiritual community. And this is who we are. This is who God made us to be that is giving against your vision. So that is a, that's as quick as I can, as quick as I can do it. Does that make a little bit of sense? Yeah,
1: I think that, you know, with other topics that we've covered in the Critical Skills of Money series, we don't usually have to convince people that that's an important Part of financial life, so that's true. We have not had to do an episode where we said, "Now acquisition." Here's why we think you should try to acquire <laughs> some money because most right. most people, by about one o'clock every day, start to get a little hungry and they say, <laughs> "Yes, I've either got to go catch an animal or I've got to get some money so I can buy a Big Mac." Um, that's right. Don't buy a Big Mac, but no, no, no. I don't know, Steven, You're you're buying an egg McMuffin.
0: Uh, oh. Delicious.
1: So I think this is a little bit unique because we we wanted, and again, I really do think most of the people who are listening to this, giving is probably something that you are somewhere on the spectrum between, yeah, I think that's a great thing, to I am trying to give faithfully and generously, and I want to get better at it. So if you're on that spectrum, then I think that the the, the thing we're trying to do here is broaden your vision for what yes. giving includes so that it's not simply an obedience thing like going kicking back to the episodes we just did on obedience. What I want to do in a sequel to this episode is talk about some nuts and bolts of how we should give. So there's intention of, I want to be a giver. We live in a country where they've actually for now Provided all sorts of benefits for giving right. to, for example, a five hundred one c three nonprofit. So if you give to right. certain types of organizations, you get to not pay taxes on that money. Right. Um, there's other things to consider when you're handing out money to an individual. Let's say True. that you're a grandparent right now, and you want to give to your adult children to get them sort of started in life and going, you know, a lot of times people wait until until they're dead to, to hand over any dough <laughs> and the kids go, well, thanks a lot, mom and dad. But <laughs> this would have been real helpful when I was trying to make my first down payment on a house. That's right. So how do you do that? How yes. do you do it without running afoul of the law or having to pay taxes that you shouldn't have to pay? And so we won't go into crazy details, but I do want to give in the next episode some some tactical giving to right i kind right. of Stephen, i was joking that you're kind of like the guy who gets to sell all the the cool features on the car and everybody excited. I'm you want the paint protection. You want the right touch screen, the turbos. We can put the turbos in this Want the
0: huge sunroof that goes the distance of the car that way I can get that for you.
1: And then once all that's done, you're like, okay, now I need you to go talk to the finance guy and he's going to (laughs) talk you through the APRs and have you sign the papers. Depressing,
0: boring stuff. Yes. So I want to
1: cover the sort of tactics of giving, and we'll talk about maybe as we do that, some specific examples of sure. how we've given. Maybe in times it's been good, and other times it's been well. I don't know if I'd do that again, but uh, yeah. that that's what's coming next.
0: Sweet. So we'll cover the mechanics of giving in our next episode, and we'll let this sit as kind of the the heart behind it and the the motivation behind it. So I'd like to finish with this little conclusion. That I wrote. It's in one of the articles. I thought it was a good uh, summary. Finally, I hope that you feel inspired. I hope you feel godly pressure and that keeping all of your stuff and soaking it in on yourself is not an option. And I hope you feel a little overwhelmed because there are so many things that you can do to give that it really takes some choiceful strategic thinking. Surely you can see, with so many reasons to give, so many places to give to, and so much that the Father has packed inside you and your family, specifically, that holding your breath and writing a check to your local religious organization is insufficient and unsatisfactory behavior for a son of the king. It's just not enough at all. So I entreat you, people of God, engage. Become a fountain of life through your giving. Be a faithful ambassador of the King, sending out His love and provision in every direction. Be a provider for the fatherless. Be a hope for the poor. Be a blessing to the righteous prisoner, a broadcaster of vision, and a supporter for the community of faith that you're a part of, and be a reflection of your great God wherever you go. Well, I hope you're feeling inspired and equipped to do a little bit more strategic giving and maybe just more giving generally, just more volume wise, more giving because I hope you can see, get a sense of the power that's at your fingertips if you'll just exercise it regarding giving and it will send your family's vision out into the world with authority, which is super exciting. And now finally on a personal interest story, with maybe some financial implications for your family with your plans, we're going to finally hear Mark give us a little bit of insight into his family's recent trip to Europe.
1: We, uh, we took a two-and-a-half-week trip this summer, which was kind of a big goal for us that we've been working towards for a while to take that much time off. We went with my family, my three daughters, and my mother-in-law came with us. And we spent about a week in Paris and then we spent about four days in Rome, two days in Florence and three days in Cinque Terre, which is up on the kind of beachy mountain Mediterranean spot. So it was cool. I think that my take was my we split Paris at the start and the finish. My first four days in Paris, I thought I'm not a big fan of Paris. I thought Rome was incredible and mind-blowing. <clears throat> I thought Florence was even better than that. Cinque Terre was cool, but it was a little little tourist trappy, although I will say highlight of the Mediterranean beach was these stands that just deep-fried things, and you could get yourself a giant cone of calamari to sit on the beach. That was t- a nice treat. And then the second stint in Paris was actually, I think we had started to find our travel groove, and we're less prone to falling into the tourist traps so i i was a little less angry about the fact that every time at at the beginning of this trip i felt like every time we sat down to have food it was 250 dollars for subpar dining by the end yeah. i had kind of figured out okay here's how we eat good food without paying out the wazoo um, or if we do pay out the wazoo it'll at least be worth it so yeah i mean i could do a whole episode on that trip but I'd say given the fact that we had a six-year-old, a nine-year-old, and a 13-year-old, it was a smashing success, and somehow we we did not screw up any of the logistics despite airline strikes and train strikes and just the standard European, I mean, they go on strike about once every three weeks, so Mm -hmm. standard complications to the trip, but we somehow made it everywhere we needed to be. We ran into some old friends from D.C. in Rome and had dinner with them just by chance. So stuff like that. But it was really fun.
0: What's one thing that uh, we wasted money on that? If I had to do over again, we would not do that. Well, the first thing that comes to
1: mind is just food, Uh, you know, sitting down at the place we go up to the Sacré-Cœur church. Sacré-Cœur. And it was amazing. And we're walking around in Monet's neighborhood. But then the first place that was there, when we came out of the the church at noon, we thought, well, this is a delightful little French cafe. Let's eat. And no, it's the first place there. So it's terrible. They probably pay outrageous rents to be the first place in the high traffic zone. So we kind of learned, don't do that. Otherwise, uh, we hired a guide for Pisa, the city of Pisa, with the leaning tower. She was delightful, but we didn't need a guide at all. Because mm. when you go to Pisa for, we were stopping just on our way uh, from Florence over to Cinque Terre. There's really only one thing you need to do. <laughs> all right, You walk to the tower. Of course. You see the tower. I took a delightful photo which I thought was quite original where I was leaning opposite the tower, so I made it look like it was leaning even more.
0: Curious.
1: Everyone else was doing your standard. I'm holding up the tower, I'm pushing down the tower.
0: And what what's one thing that, gosh, if if somebody if there was a family that was about to walk in our exact footsteps, they're gonna take our exact trip. What's one thing you'd say, you know, it might only be five bucks, but you've got to do this thing, or it might take you two hours, but you've got to do this one thing that might not be so obvious for every tour package. But man, this was such a hit.
1: Well, you, you know, this about me and you and I kind of share this, that food is one of those things that I just, I love travel. I mark my travel in what are the things I'm going to sample when (laughs) I'm on a trip. And so, I had a friend that had just gone to some of these places a few weeks before me, and he passed along some places, so there was a, a gelato spot in Florence. Yeah. There's gelato on every corner. It's like oh. a, a day in Italy, is it's either a one, a two, or a three gelato type of day, <laughs> depending on the day. Most of that gelato is delicious, but it kind of comes from the, the central factory, right? And there's this one spot in Florence where they made it themselves. And I thought, well, that'll probably be good. But it was transformative. I mean, it was incredible. And, you know, there was things like that where little restaurants that we ran into I would say there was an inverse relationship between how much we spent and how delicious the food was. So Mm -hmm. my favorite meal in Italy was this little sandwich shop, and it was just incredible. And so there was this this one church, and you're putting me on the spot. I don't have notes to tell you which one in, in Rome, but we go in and our guide was very salty about it. She's like, they they had a mirror in in kind of the center of the floor so that you could stand and the mirror was pointing up and you could see the ceiling without leaning back and looking oh, at right. The, the guide in front of this line of 50 people waiting to look at the mirror she's like these idiots don't know even what they're looking at they're just standing in line because other people are standing in line look at them now come over here let me show you and she shows us that Christ is in the center of this ceiling. We we stood right underneath Christ and looked up and the whole painting of the ceiling looks like this beautiful kind of acropolis scene where everything's arranged perfectly around him and worshiping him. And then she's like, "Now come here." And we go over to the corner and she's like, "Now look." And the artist had changed the perspective so that when you're not there, standing in the center and looking at Christ, everything looks like it's collapsing. And I mm. was like, that was so cool. So some things like that, that I probably wouldn't have known without having somebody to show me. I just kept asking the question at all of, cause almost everything we saw was somehow connected to faith. I don't know if the Lord is pleased with all of this or thinks what a gigantic waste of resources or people were trying to show how rich they were, but it was pretty cool and there was there was lots of good conversations that we even had as a family like what do you guys think about all this and and it, it was rich time not relaxing at all but certainly built the family.
0: I appreciate the way that you're thinking and I think that's helpful for people to hear is that you've you've got some big thing that you've been working towards, you've been saving towards it, planning towards it and and your thought should be how does how can I use this thing to build our family? How can it build the culture of our family? What are the kind of memories that we want to take away and fold into who we are? Before we dive into today's topic,
1: I yeah. would like to tell you, I'm going to need your prayers because I am going tonight. I have rented a 15-passenger van that's sitting outside my house. Oh, And I'm going to be shuttling 10, 13-year-olds to the lake house for a lake weekend in celebration of my 13 year old's 13th birthday which actually oh, happened my. while we were on this european trip. So, will I get any sleep? I doubt it. But but that's what I'm up to. Wow,
0: that 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 is daunting. You're going to turn loose these kids in your valuable vacation home. Is the wife going to be supporting as well? Oh
1: yes. The wife will be there, so will the other two daughters, but I think it'll be okay. I think these girls, I know them all. They're they're good kids, but uh, wow, it still might be loud giggling at 1 a.m. That could that yeah. Could there's be a
0: gonna effect. be loud giggling at 1 a.m. Yeah. Hey, if you liked this content, be sure to like it and subscribe and share it with somebody. And remember, no matter how you're doing and leading your family, God's love for you is huge, and His grace is Planet! planet.